Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast. I'm your host, Misty Little. This is Season 2, Episode 13, and today I'm recording from my little side yard garden that is a little microclimate next to my house. It's where we keep some of our more tender uh, plants, some tropical stuff that needs a little more protection when we have some of our more uh, cold weather in the winter. It's kind of lush. It's a little shady. I'm sitting under my fig tree, which is starting to put on quite a lot of figs that won't be ripe until usually the first or second weekend of uh, week of July. Uh, not too far away is my gardenia, which is smelling awesome. It has started blooming in the last week or two. It is not in full bloom yet. It's usually pretty much covered. I don't know. Mid-May gets covered in delicious scent. Um, so with that, I'm going to introduce today's guest, which is Amy Strauss from TenThacreFarm.com. And Amy specializes in permaculture and edible landscaping, and most recently is author of The Suburban Microfarm, Modern Solutions for Busy People, which she released in December of 2016. So I first came across her site when I found uh, the podcast her husband ran several years ago, the Tenth Acre Farm podcast. That podcast is now on hiatus, but I think you can still find it on iTunes if you want to listen to some of those back episodes. So after... After the podcast was over, Amy kind of continued expanding their website into a wealth of information for micro farming and turning in suburban lots into food landscapes that work for each individual. Kind of discussing how she's turned her, their lot into something that worked for them and how you can tailor that for yourself. So if you're interested in doing that, if you're a suburbanite who wants to do a little micro farming, this episode is definitely for you, or if you're just learning, wanting to learn a little bit more about permaculture, this episode is also for you. So I've put some of the resources on finding Amy's book uh, on the podcast website, as well as some other resources, including uh, the episode that she was on the Root Simple podcast. You can find that on the podcast website too. So this is going to be my last guest interview for this season. I'd actually plan on one more with... Um, another guest, but we kind of had some wrenches thrown into our scheduling and I just kind of realized I was ready to wrap the season up. And so I'm going to have her on for next season. So you wait, hold tight for that. Um, I do have one more episode planned, a solo episode that I'm going to air in a few weeks in late May and kind of discuss where I think the third season is going to be heading. So if you enjoyed this episode, could you consider giving a rating and review on iTunes? Okay, I know this is really annoying to hear because you hear it on every podcast, but it's kind of the odd, crappy way that podcasts are set up, uh, especially in iTunes, you know, the stupid algorithms that um, they put on people kind of helps people find the podcast. So if you could just log into your iTunes account, leave a five-star review, and maybe even a little bitty comment saying what you liked best about the podcast this season, that would be super awesome. I would definitely appreciate it. And maybe I will read it on air. (laughs) Um, As always, I'm on Instagram, YouTube, and you can find the website at thegardenpathpodcast.com. And feel free to leave a comment there or over on Instagram on any of the photos I post. And um, so I hope you guys enjoy this episode and I hope you're having a lovely May Talk to you guys soon. All right, so thanks, Amy, for uh, agreeing to come on the podcast. Um, I guess we could start off by if you could introduce yourself, who you are, what zone you're in, and kind of where you garden, and I guess micro farm. Okay, all right. Thanks for having me, Misty. Um, uh, Yeah, so my name is Amy Strauss, and uh, I am a gardener, homesteader, permaculturist. Uh, I like to uh, write about gardening on my website, 10thacrefarm.com. And uh, I'm also um, an author of The Suburban Microfarm. And um, I garden in the uh, hardiness zone 6A. So I am in the Ohio River Valley in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I garden uh, in the suburbs, actually, or microfarm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, so I guess we'll talk about 
the Tintaker Farm uh, website, and I guess kind of the beginnings of that, I saw um, you started it in July 2013, but you'd been kind of gardening and farming for a while before that. Um, can you talk about your transformation for turning that suburban lot into a farmstead? Uh, yeah, sure. So I, I got my start not as a gardener, actually. I sort of, you know, came to it from uh, the perspective of um, wanting to have a um, just more of a connection with my food. I was uh, dealing with an autoimmune disease and I was, um, you know, really stressed out at work, which, you know, as most of us know, when you're stressed out, uh, it affects your health. And I, I felt like I was just really disconnected <clears throat> with what, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I was really disconnected with what, you know, made me feel happy and healthy and vibrant. Um, and, you know, food is the essential uh, aspect of our lives, right? It nourishes us. And, um, you know, having a connection with that, I felt like was, um, I had been missing out on that. So I started actually by joining a CSA, which is community supported agriculture. And I got a weekly share of veggies from a local farmer. And that was really my first foray into, okay, what grows in my area? And um, learning about the seasonality of our food because, you know, we don't really get that at the grocery store. So that's, you know, really kind of what sparked my interest in um, actually growing my own food and, you know, a lot of uh, twists and turns and um, special events and just sort of um, all sort of culminated in this idea that, hey, you know, I can do this in my own yard, actually. So let's, you know, give it a try and, and see what happens. So I guess from the time period of you joining the CSA to trying to garden, um, I guess how many years or months was that? And I guess what was your kind of first plant that you tried to grow? <laughs> um, let's see. So it was about 10 years ago when I joined the CSA. So this has been sort of a 10-year-long journey for me um, from being a high school teacher to now being um, a person who writes and speaks about um, all things garden. It's been kind of a fun and interesting journey for me. But, um, yeah, I, I, um, I started out by trying to grow – I didn't think that I had enough space on my little tenth of an, tenth of an acre lot right. uh, in the suburbs. And so I started out by renting land oh. um, from someone who had several acres um, a little bit further out from the city. And um, so I uh, leased some little garden plot areas and I drove, you know, 60 minutes every day to go out and check on my little gardens. And by the end of the season, I thought, you know what, I can do this in my, I can do this in my own yard. So I'm going to, I'm going to give it a try. And, you know, I started very slowly and, um, you know, uh, those, when I was using those rented plots, it was kind of a, I'm going to throw every single vegetable in here and see what grows. And, you know, I want to do all of it because I, you know, I had that beginner's um, uh, enthusiasm and I just right. couldn't choose. So I uh, tried it all. And then when I transitioned to um, my own yard, I actually went a lot slower. Um, I had uh, somewhere w within those first few years, um, I had uh, studied permaculture, and uh, permaculture is, uh, in case somebody is not familiar with that, it's a system for uh, designing um, edible or agricultural landscapes that um, work with nature. So, and with permaculture, the focus is really on the design of the space. And so um, we can choose certain plants and say, oh, this is a permaculture plant um, and it works well in permaculture gardens. But really, um, when we start out with permaculture, we kind of 
uh, zone out and look at a whole space from like a bird's eye view. And so when I did that, I was um, a little more uh, choosy <laughs> in my own space about what I started with. And actually what I started with is um, replacing some of the existing landscape with uh, perennial edibles. So that's kind of where I started. We did, um, we took out some traditional bushes in front of our front porch and we replaced those with current bushes. Um, and we replaced some other traditional bushes lining the house with uh, black raspberries, actually. So that was really um, the very beginning. So you, uh, you're doing it in phases and um, it sounds like you're transforming using your yard and still having that typical suburban look, but using making the design work for you, but also make it happy for your neighbors. And I don't know if you have any zoning um, issues about um, ordinances regarding growing in your front yard. So, but it sounds like you kind of tried to transition that into an easy smooth, smooth pathway. So you weren't having to face like, all right, I'm putting, you know, here's my row of squash and tomatoes and making it look like that. Is that kind of, that's the vibe I'm getting. Is that how you transformed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, when we got started, it was not only this issue of, Hey, you know, what kinds of strategies can we use to grow and, you know, our, our little, you know, postage stamp lot, but uh, you know, what, do we need to do to um, have, you know, keep or improve existing relationships with neighbors? Because uh, in our, um, in our property, you know, the backyard was super shaded and we did end up um, eventually uh, creating a nice edible landscape that was shade friendly in the backyard. But uh, originally we started in the front yard. Right. Um, and so it was very visible and we had to, you know, we wanted to, you know, have a good relationship with those neighbors. So we, so we were very intentional about, right, doing it in a way that was um, aesthetically pleasing um, so that, um, you know, we were, you know, sort of making a statement, but we also, you know, weren't hopefully not um, offending everybody right off the bat. We, we figured we would save that for <laughs> Later, <laughs> later, right? <laughs> Get them used to it in phases. Right. And I think what you said about uh, shade is something that a lot of people face. I know a lot of people will have, you know, big trees in their backyard for, you know, the obviously shade on the house and um, kids playing and that kind of thing. So they kind of feel like they have this suburban lot that, you know, I can't really grow anything here. And but at the same time, they don't want to be putting, you know, their vegetables in the landscape out front. Um, so I guess what resources did you use to kind of begin developing um, that front yard garden and that space um, to do it in a in a manner that suited you, but also suited everybody else? Um, did you have any inspiration, people that you look to? Um, yeah, you know, when I first started, um, I I was just it's so funny to think back on um, how um, how many things have happened in the last 10 years as far as my own personal gardening journey and, you know, starting out very new. And I remember about 10 years ago, I watched um, a little video. Uh, it was made by the Dervais family. Oh, right. Um, at urbanhomestead.org. And, um, and I, that little clip that they made, I don't remember how long that video is, um, but it was very inspirational about what they were doing. I, I think that they had something very similar to a tenth of an acre. It might have been just a tiny bit bigger. I'm not sure. Okay. But um, extremely inspirational about the volume of production they were getting on that little um, little plot. And then I started following uh, Eric and Kelly at Root Simple. Yeah, that yeah. Mm -hmm. and um, and they wrote the books, uh, the book Urban, the Urban Homestead, and I was just very inspired by what they're doing. And I also read uh, the book called Food Not Lawns. Okay, and that was very inspirational for me. And uh, you know what struck me uh, about those three resources is this sort of um, this 
can-do attitude. Because I know I get a lot of, um, you know, feedback from uh, readers and they'll say, oh, well, you know, I can't do X, Y, or Z because I have um, fill in the blank. <laughs> you know, right. I have shade or I have clay soil or I have, you know, drainage problems. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that the majority of us who want to grow food in residential spaces, we probably didn't purchase our property for its farming merits. Right. <laughs> right? And so almost all of us have some kind of challenge that we need to overcome if, if our goal really is to grow some of our own food. And so I was just very inspired by those, um, those th three resources that really just kind of said, hey, you know, we've got these challenges, but we're going to make it fun. And we're going to just sort of uh, make it like uh, uh, it's going to be sort of like a, um, a test. You know, we're going to experiment. We're going to uh, run some, you know, lab experiments. We're going to plant some things. We're going to see what works. We're going to throw out what doesn't work. And then we're going to try something else. And, you know, we're just going to keep, you know, keep at it and make sure that it, we don't get um, discouraged by the failures, but that we use that as a stepping stone to say, well, what else can I try? Right. So I guess what are some of the obstacles you did face? Um, I mean, not necessarily just about, you know, the neighbors and ordinances, things like that, but just the problems maybe with your own, with your yard, like what, what did you do to help um, to make it modify it for yourself? Yeah. So, um, so we, so I mentioned the shade. Our backyard was, um, you know, very shady, and that had a lot of um, trees uh, from neighboring properties. So there wasn't really a whole lot we could do about that. And it was also sloping and a very odd shape. So the backyard was just no fun at all uh, until we we had a few years under our belt and we could, um, with a different eye, go back and look at that backyard. And, right. and that's the benefit of doing things in phases because, you know, we waited to do that backyard until, you know, we had some easy wins under our belt. So uh, when we decided to do the front yard, of course, I mentioned, you know, the front yard is very exposed. So one of the challenges was, um, you know, how can we do this and make sure that it's um, aesthetically pleasing and not offensive to the neighbors. Um, we did not have any ordinances to work with. So that was oh, that's nice good. for us. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that we did want to do uh, is and the front yard is also sloping. So we did have that challenge, but we decided that we wanted to um, work the uh, water from the roof into the design of the front yard gardens. And the reason why we did that be is because, you know, in permaculture, we almost always look to um, how can we manage the water? And we want to do that first before and we design the gardens around the um, whatever solution we're coming up to deal with the water. So, um, and this was, you know, for us, this was something we wanted to do because we wanted to make it, first of all, a little more environmentally friendly. We're keeping that roof water, you know, out of the the storm storm drain system. Mm -hmm. And you know, but we also wanted to make sure that we were putting that. Uh, water to use so that the garden was, you know, less maintenance for us. So we, um, you know, because we're on a podcast and I can't show pictures, but right. we, you know, designed, uh, you know, a, a solution that created this pretty interesting mix of uh, water catchment with um, uh, planting berms and um, trenches that catch the water and rain gardens. And, you know, when we put it all together with uh, perennial um, edibles and uh, flowers, uh, you know, it turned out to be a really pretty landscape. Yeah, I remember that post um, from a few years ago. And I remember being pretty enamored with it because it was such a cool design and that you guys had really, it wasn't, at that time, it wasn't something I had even thought about keeping you know, using that runoff from the roof and, you know, maybe even whatever is just around like your driveway, that kind of thing. Um, and then using that before it ran off to the street and um, 
I just thought about how much better it would be if that was designed more <laughs> in our developments, um, not even just housing developments, but, you know, other, other um, commercial development. And um, yeah, I think that is probably one of the coolest aspects of, of your front yard. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Thanks. You know, and it, it really, you, you, um, you have a point there. I do feel like, you know, there's, there's a piece missing in the way that we design our, you know, uh, our lands, our lived in, our built landscapes, I should say, our built right. landscapes um, where we're living. Because I think, you know, if there was a, if there, you know, were, you know, requirements in there and, um, you know, city designers that helped, you know, design it all to capture that water for the benefit of everybody and the environment. I think it would save a lot of money in the end and it would uh, reduce pollution. And I don't know, it's, it's a pretty big oversight, I feel like in our built environments. Right. Um, and, and an oversight, but at the same time, it would, I don't try to think of how hard it would be to to implement that now goes as an after effect, you know? <laughs> yeah, yes. I think, and, and, you know, the beauty of that is because we already have these built environments. The beauty is that um, as homeowners or property owners, we have the ability to uh, use a little bit of our own creativity to come up with solutions. And that is kind of fun too, because each solution is going to be unique for, you know, the, the desires of the homeowner and, and the property itself. Right. Um, so you've talked a lot about permaculture. Um, when did you first come across that uh, word? And I guess what did you, compelled you to kind of dig a little deeper and uh, take some classes and learn more about that? So my permaculture journey, um, I, I sort of, I have this amnesia about uh, when it was that I started hearing about it. And I really feel like, you know, permaculture is a word that's hard to define. Um, so, you know, I defined it earlier in, in the podcast, but, um, you know, in general, it's one of those words that needs defining over and over again, because the, the definition doesn't just automatically pop out at you. And so, um, I feel like I had been seeing that word for a while. Um, but I, didn't and I had this sense that it really you know jived with um, you know my outlook on life and you know philosophies in gardening but um, it wasn't until I think 2009 is when I uh, took my um, permaculture design course and uh, got the certification uh, and I don't think it was until I took the course that I really started to understand um, what permaculture was about. Right. And so you took that course and how did, how did it really transform how you gardened and even maybe even how it, you kind of lived your life in a way? Because it definitely seems to be the overall theme that permaculture is not necessarily just about gardening or farming, but it can be applied to life itself, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, one of the first things that I learned about permaculture is um, that um, everything is interconnected, which, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, duh, of course it is, you know, <laughs> right. but, um, but I started seeing examples of it when I was taking the course and started, it, it got me to where, um, whenever I'm looking at, um, especially when I'm looking at landscapes, uh, I always kind of zoom out and imagine that I'm looking at it from a bird's eye view so that I'm seeing it as one whole ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Because what I think happens, and you know, this happens a lot of times with my readers um, and me you know, together, when I'll be talking about, um, you know, certain plants that I really love using. And so I'll, you know, recommend something. And so, um, and then we get down to the opposite of bird's eye view where we're like down on the ground and we're focused on this little patch in our yard. And we're thinking, you know, X plant has to go here because it's a permaculture plant and it's good. Right. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, what we want to do is zoom out and say, um, and start asking deeper questions. And I think this is why permaculture is so hard to define because when we zoom out, we can, um, 
you know, look at it uh, from a, um, a deeper perspective and we can say, okay, so if we want to improve the biodiversity of this whole area that I'm seeing from this bird's eye view point of view, um, you know, um, is my garden, you know, in the right place? Does it make sense there? Um, is it, is it um, requiring me to do more, you know, walking because my compost bin and my garden shed are way over here? Right. <laughs> or my, you know, uh, water source is way over here. Does it, does it make sense? And um, when we think about the edges of our property and what's coming onto our property from outside of it, is it, um, are there areas where we need to address privacy um, or, you know, perhaps, you know, there's an, a pesky neighbor who sprays something that you don't want in your garden right. or, um, or, um, let's see what else, uh, wind, you know, maybe there's like, you know, you know, which area of the, which direction the wind flows when you've got a storm. And so your little baby fruit trees are going to bend over because of that. Um, you know, what kinds of things can we see from a bird's eye view that can say, oh, you know, I think we should really shore up this property line over here, this edge, so that the interior of our property can function, um, more seamlessly and with more biodiversity. Right. So right. I don't know. I think, um, you know, to answer your question, I, it, that's kind of philosophical, I guess. Right. But, I, um, but um, you know, when I get into this permaculture space, that's, that's where my mind goes. And those were the things that when I started, I wasn't able to see because I was just so excited about plant selection. <laughs> yeah. Um. I guess this is kind of in the same vein because I think you're talking about plant selection. You're so excited about having certain permaculture plants, but animals are also involved in that scenario as well, especially when people talk about farming and homesteading and it seems like the natural evolution. Um, one of you, you do have a post about um, why you didn't keep chickens. Um, can you elaborate, I guess, some on that and why, I guess, the misconceptions about needing animals in your garden or your homestead. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I wrote that post, you know, years ago because, you know, I had, um, you know, we, we were calling ourselves homesteaders and we had sort of, you know, gotten, uh, if, if you are a homesteader yourself, you are probably connected online to other homesteaders, whether that's through forums or through Facebook or, you know, through following blogs or whatever your, um, you know, connection is. And, um, you know, animals tend to be a big part of homesteading. And, um, and so if you don't have animals, you can um, often feel like you aren't living up to, uh, you know, the name uh, of a homesteader. Right, right. <laughs> um, but, you know, for me, I think that animals are a little bit different from adding uh, plants to your landscape because now, you know, you've got this living creature that needs a lot of attention and care. Mm -hmm. and And I... I think I just want to make sure and um, stress that if you are going to add animals to your uh, homestead or your garden system that you've, you know, really thought through making sure that they have a good life. Do they have enough space? Are you going to have enough time to, to care for them and, you know, keep them happy and well-fed and, you know, clean and, you know, all the things that, you know, having, uh, dependence um, requires. And um, I do think that, you know, having livestock is really um, beneficial from um, when we think of it in a permaculture perspective of us building an ecosystem, you know, having their, um, having the animal manure to be able to use in the garden is right. really fantastic. Um, but for us personally, you know, in, in, the place that we were a few years ago when I wrote that post, um, you know, we had envisioned moving and, you know, it just, 
didn't seem like the right time to build a coop and because that can get expensive to build the coop right. and run and get all the supplies and materials you need to keep animals appropriately. Um, and so, you know, it just, for us, it didn't happen. And I, I don't want other people to think that they are, you know, can't call themselves, you know, homesteaders or something if right. they, you know, don't have animals, because I think, you know, being a homesteader is more about, um, you know, having a productive home. So what do you do instead of, you know, keeping animals? Do you, you know, grow a garden? Do you, uh, you know, can and preserve the excess produce? Do you, um, you know, perhaps you have found a way to, you know, make some of your own um, personal care products um, in the home and, you know, different things like that. It, um, I don't think that the focus has to be animals. And in fact, it's interesting. We recently moved to a three acre property and um, we have visions of having chickens here. But uh, interestingly enough, they are not legal where we moved. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were legal at the first home, but now they're not legal here. So we have some thinking to do as far as um, whether right. we want to try to uh, gorilla, uh, you know, care for chickens or something. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> have a gorilla operation. <laughs> Um, chickens were something I wanted too. Um, I live on a little over an acre and, um, I don't know, it was kind of, like you said, you, we see so many people keeping animals and you're like chickens and that one's really cool and just having my own eggs. But after I got in, I was just like, you know, I, I don't want to do that right now. So, and I was, there's plenty of people around. I live in an area where there's plenty of people who have yard eggs, so I could buy all my support somebody else if I wanted. So I thought that was a good, um, good option for now. And I think other people, there's so many people keeping chickens. There's a good likelihood you're going to be able to find somebody selling, you know, local eggs if you really wanted to, or, you know, maybe that's where you, you go buy your local goat milk or whomever. It's, I guess, another way of supporting someone else, I guess. So. Yeah, that's right. You know, I do think that it um, it really highlights this need for um, community because we at our, our previous home at our original, you know, at the original 10th acre farm, we had yeah. uh, we had some friends who really enjoyed uh, keeping livestock. And so, you know, and we were the ones who really enjoyed, you know, growing plants, <laughs> edible mm -hmm you know, plants. And so we had a nice exchange there. And I think that that, um, I think that there's room for that. I don't think there's, you know, a requirement to do one or the other, or you're not a failure if you do one and not the other. <laughs> right. Um, earlier, you mentioned a couple uh, ornamental plants that kind of double as edibles, like the black raspberries and the currants. Um, what are some other plants that are kind of your favorite that you think people should have on their homestead or their little micro farm or, and then I mean, even other, other ornamentals that double as edibles. You know, this is a really hard question for me because I, uh, I think that all plants are aesthetically pleasing and beautiful right. and ornamental in their own way. So, um, so th that's, uh, I, I need to be more, maybe I need to be more, um, uh, picky about that, but I can give you some of my favorites. I, sure. <laughs> I really love growing calendula. Uh, everywhere I can grow it, I usually grow it. Um, so, you know, calendula is, is a flowering herb and it grows very easily from seed. And in most areas, um, you know, it depends on your climate. I, I know that it can sometimes peter out in the um, heat of yeah. like the height of the summer. And so you've got um, long into the spring. And then, you know, for me, it comes back in the fall and goes um, long into winter. So, you know, it's growing habits may, uh, you know, depend on your growing zone. But, um, but I like calendula for, you know, so many reasons. It, you know, attracts beneficial insects. And it actually uh, traps pests. So it's, uh, it has a sticky sap that, yeah. uh, it, that is on its uh, stems. And uh, you'll actually, 
Um, and I plant it in my garden, in my vegetable garden, because it's an annual flower. So you can just kind of seed it wherever you'd like it in between the rows. And I usually grow it by my uh, vegetable crops that tend to collect aphids. And for me, that's my brassicas, like my kale and my broccoli and things like that. Mm -hmm. Actually, it uh, the sticky sap is very attractive to the aphids. And so they actually just flock to it <laughs> from your crop. And then okay. the ladybugs <laughs> are attracted to both the pollen of the flower as well as the right. buffet of aphids. <laughs> um, so it's one of my absolute favorites. And of course, I also, um, you know, like to collect the um, flower heads for um, making, you know, medicinal things. I've got a recipe for salve on my website that I really like with the calendula. Um, so that's, um, I think, my favorite flower that I can recommend that's also very useful. I think that's, um, I'm going to have to try that next uh fall and winter on my, my brassicas because yeah, like you said, aphid city. Yeah. <laughs> and I hadn't even thought about adding that into the garden over there. Um, but that's uh, something I'm going to try. Yeah, hopefully. Um, and it should, um, you're near Houston, right? So it, um, you probably have enough moisture that it, it would probably do okay with your heat. Um, I have grown it before in a couple spots in my flower beds, but, um, I think it faded in the summer, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I think it was just so hot. Um, there's so much that, and we have a drought years in the summer sometimes, and it just, so. Um, but, um, yeah, I think I'll give that a try. That's a good thought. Mm -hmm. um, anything I, else? Well, I, <laughs> we could be here all day, but <laughs> I can say, <laughs> but I could say um, a couple of other ones of m some of my favorites, you know. Um, you know, for me, as a person who started out gardening as you know with it being a hobby i felt like i had a lot of time to experiment with things and you know as time has gone on and as you know gardening has become you know sort of as i've become a writer and um, a speaker and things and my schedule has really blown up and and now i feel like i'm a a weekend, you know, part-time gardener. And so I have to be a little more choosy about what I'm growing. And so for uh, those of you out there who, uh, you know, might have similar problems, I can say that I love growing set it and forget it crops. You know, those that you plant and then you just kind of wait until harvest and there's not a whole lot of fuss in between. And for me, that is uh, garlic, and um, sweet potatoes are some right. of my favorites. Yeah. So I just I'll just throw that out there in case there are other people like me who are trying to you know squeeze in uh, gardening on the weekends or you know in the evenings and things like that. Right. Yeah. Definitely uh, garlic, even onions. Um, there's like even bunching onions and Egyptian onions. There's a ton of different things people can uh, grow like that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, of course, uh, you know, being on the subject of uh, busy gardeners, I've got uh, a nice section about this in my book, but I really also just highly promote growing fruit because, yeah. you know, you plant it once and then, you know, come it's back for the harvest. <laughs> correct. Yep. Yep. I mean, there's some, I mean, it depends if you have trees, sometimes the trees take a little commitment, but, um, but yeah, for sure. Like, like you said, the raspberries, the blackberries, strawberries. So yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, you're talking about being busy. Um, you've definitely turned this into a career, I would say, as a garden educator. Um, I guess how how did that evolve, and what do you? I guess what do you kind of do? How are you uh, outreaching to the community? <laughs> well, it has all happened on accident. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a conscious transformation for me. It just kind of you know, one thing kind of, you know, led to another, uh, as I, as I, you know, developed my, um, my, uh, confidence in, you know, permaculture, I started uh, a community garden in my, in my neighborhood at my local university. And, 
And then, you know, from there, I just, I started um, speaking to local groups on various, you know, garden permaculture related topics. And, and then, you know, somewhere in there, you know, as you mentioned, I started uh, my blog, 10thacrefarm.com. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. I, at first, 10thacrefarm.com was just a place for me to, you know, write down it was more like a journal. I was just kind of writing down the experiences that I was having and, um, you know, the things that I was learning and um, my thoughts about it all. And I thought, you know, as I started doing more things in my community, I thought, you know, it would be a good a resource for me to go back and remember the kinds of uh, aha moments I had been having. Right. <laughs> and, you know, suddenly um, I, you know, the readership at uh, 10 Digger Farm started growing and, you know, um, suddenly I had uh, readers, um, I had a lot of readers uh, writing to me and saying, you know, you should write a book. And, um, you know, that's not something that I had ever, you know, considered in my life. It wasn't, uh, I, I've always enjoyed writing, but, you know, uh, it wasn't on my bucket list or anything to write a book. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, so I asked my readers, I've got um, a survey that they can fill out when they uh, become subscribers. And, you know, I asked everybody, you know, what, you know, what are your biggest uh, barriers to, you know, enjoying your garden or having a successful garden? And um, the answer was overwhelmingly time you know, my biggest barrier is time. Right. And so suddenly, you know, as I had, you know, more writing gigs coming in and more speaking engagements coming in and um, more things to uh, participate in with my, in my local community, as far as, you know, gardening and designing stuff. Um, I thought, well, time is my own barrier. Right. <laughs> so, you know, can I, you know, maybe can I come up with some processes that help uh, me and then in turn my readers, you know, um, feel like they can enjoy their gardens and have a relationship with it without having it feel like this burden. Cause that's the last thing we want when this is something we've turned to as a source of enjoyment. So, right. so I started experimenting with different ways to make it more efficient, to make it, you know, um, more manageable. And the solution that worked best for me was um, something I call the 15 minutes a day garden. Okay. And, um, you know, I go a, a lot deeper into that in my book, but, you know, it's, um, you know, for me, it's this permaculture idea of starting small you know, figuring out what's manageable and then adding more as we can. So, you know, for me, it's, um, you know, this 15 minutes a day. Um, what kind of garden size is manageable in 15 minutes a day? Right. <laughs> Let's start with that. And hey, you know, if we, you know, totally ace that <laughs> and can totally make that work, then, you know, then we can expand our, our garden once we've had success. But I think a lot of times we, um, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, having a meal and our stomachs are, uh, our eyes are bigger than our stomachs. Right, for sure. <laughs> Sometimes we start too big with our gardens and what we thought was going to be this amazingly joyful experience becomes a source of stress. And, um, and so this was a way for me to try to, you know, avoid that. Um, now, did you have to pitch this as a proposal or did you have a publisher come to you? Uh, so I, um, I actually um, created my own uh, publishing company. Oh, okay. So that I wanted to, you know, I think the thing about uh, people in our space with, you know, gardening and homesteading, uh, we tend to be, um, we, we like learning things, <laughs> you know. Right. And, and for me, I really wanted to know 
how the publishing process worked. And I wanted to have an intimate relationship with that. So I, I just, I built it from, you know, the ground up and I kind of uh, figured it out as I went. Right. Okay. I think a lot of people are leaning that way these days. Um, gives them a little more freedom to create the content they want. And they know that is needed um, without some of the, the hassle on the, the, you know, having to deal with publishing houses and that kind of thing. So, yeah. And, you know, and, you know, I don't want to be too negative about it because I do know that, you know, like um, everybody has their own preference. And I also, you know, not having gone through working with a traditional publishing house, I can't say for certain what I would have experienced, but uh, my guess is that um, there would have been some things that would, would have been easier. <laughs> right, right, of course. Whereas there would have been some other parts, like some bureaucracy and some decision-making that I would have wished I could have had more control over. So, you know, it's it, it's definitely, you know, a balance and um, – I guess it just depends on, you know, what, what your uh, personal preferences are. <laughs> right. No, for sure. Um, definitely. Some people are able to manage it all and some people would rather have someone else doing a lot of the background legwork. So um, are you going on doing any speaking tours outside of Ohio or are you kind of staying towards uh, home turf so that you can stay with your garden? Well, uh, so far, uh, so far, I'm mainly in Ohio. Now, I am being here in Cincinnati. Uh, I am we're sort of on the border of um, we call it the tri-state area where we're by um, Kentucky and Indiana. So I do uh, head into Kentucky as well as Indiana because okay. they're so close. But other than that, um I have not ventured out. I am, I'm, there's a few things that I'm considering outside of the area and I'm not going to mention them because they're not final or anything, right. but, um, but I'm always open to, um, I'm always open to traveling. It's just a matter of, uh, uh, knowing, you know, if there's, if there's going to be people who are interested in me there. So, you know, if, uh, for, for those who are listening, if you have, you know, a local community that you know would really enjoy this, I'm, I'm always open. <laughs> right. No, I definitely understand. Um, so I, since uh, you are selling it, you're marketing it yourself, where can people find uh, the book and um, anything else you might want to share about the book? Um, let's see here. Well, uh, so the book is called The Suburban Microfarm. And the subtitle is Modern Solutions for Busy People. And uh, that was uh, based on my, right. my feedback from my readers. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can find more information about the book at thesuburbanmicrofarm.com. And, you know, you can always get to it from my website as well, 10thacrefarm.com. But um, and it's sold wherever books are sold. So okay. uh, you can, you know, for... Um, all of us online savvy people, you can always find it at Amazon. It's also at uh, Barnes and Noble and uh, really any of the other major online um, sources for, for books. And um, also it is available for order uh, through your local library. Uh, they might not have it in stock, but if you ask, they can order it for you. Right. And, yeah. Um, as far as, as also local bookstores, they can, they can order it as well. So it's, um, although they might not have it in stock, it is available wherever books are sold. <laughs> and is it formatted for digital reading too? I know that's popular. Yes, it is. Uh, it, it, we also have an ebook available. Now the ebook, um, it is, we are about to release um, a new format of the ebook that will be available anywhere ebooks are sold. But currently, the ebook is available on Amazon. Okay. So, and you know, I'll just say one last thing. The um, interesting thing about this book, um, because I, you know, I really wanted to make this sort of a um, a 
a one-stop resource for, you know, folks, uh, you know, the title is the sub suburbs, but really, you know, any residential space, I wanted to make it, you know, a one-stop shop. So, you know, from, you know, designing your garden and taking it from seed to harvest, I really wanted to cover all of those um, topics. And then, of course, you know, for me, because I geek out on some of the more advanced, you know, techniques, you know, with edible landscaping and permaculture and things like that. I've got some chapters on that for, you know, the experienced gardeners out there. But, um, you know, in the interest of um, making it uh, doable time-wise, I, you know, created some bonus materials that, you know, when you purchase the book, you get. So I've got um, seed starting and planting worksheets and um, calendars and checklists that um, you can download and it'll, you know, help you, uh, you know, just sort of have a, a seamless experience throughout the garden season. And hopefully it makes it uh, fun too. Oh, that's great. No, that's awesome. A lot of people, especially I think suburban gardeners kind of don't know where to start. And I think you're helping them along uh, with those worksheets. Sounds like a great idea and a good, uh, good thing. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast and uh, taking your time out to uh, spread the word. And um, I can't see, wait to see what you do with your three acres. So, yeah. Well, thanks, Misty. This has been really fun. I'm I'm always happy to talk gardening. So you know, um, it'll be fun to perhaps talk to you in the future when I've you know broken ground on my new three acre property and see what I've done with it. <laughs> yes, for sure. That sounds awesome. So, all right. Well, have an awesome day. Thanks, Misty. This all has right. been fun. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.